0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, April 28th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott.
2: Hey, hey, everyone! How's it going? Three times this week, Peter. Three times. I That's know. Good. Yeah,
1: almost uh, almost a home run, I guess. On base three times. Okay, bad bad, bad analogy.
2: <laughs> Sport, a sports maybe not your thing, Peter.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, right before we hit record, uh, some news actually just broke. Uh, Damon Lindelof is talking about his exit from Star Wars. You know, he was writing. That Star Wars movie that is being directed by Charmin Obeyed Janoy, uh, it's the one where uh, Daisy Ridley is returning uh, in a role as uh, Rey Skywalker. And uh, trigger alert. Um, and <laughs> and um, so you t- – It was interesting because since this since. He was replaced as a writer on this project. Everybody's been using a quote that you you got from an interview you know a week or two before that was I, I all talked revealed. to him
2: at, I just happened to talk to him at the right time. It was the weirdest thing
1: yeah, well, now we actually get a little bit more on the situation because it was interesting. Your quote talk about analogies. Your quote was something about like cooking in the kitchen and like
2: and if it's uh, not if it's not <laughs> right, maybe you shouldn't cook at all yeah he it's interesting. I just I, cause it was interesting sitting across from because I read it as oh, he just can't say anything about it. But now, like in hindsight, oh, he was I think he was bummed. <laughs> like, I think he was, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so okay. So he talked to Esquire and during the Esquire interview, uh, he says, I was I was in more than just talks to join the Star Wars universe. Lindelof told Esquire, I joined the Star Wars universe and was asked to leave. Ugh. Um I wish them all the best of luck. Charmaine is an incredible director and I can't wait to see what she comes up with. And, uh, he later says, will I get back in line outside the club and try to get back in? Uh, when asked, uh, if he would return to star Wars, he said, absolutely. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again, or at least, or, or again, again, try as Yoda would say. So, so yeah, there, I don't know. <laughs> Part of this, like the the back half of that sounds like, you know, you got to say that because, you know, uh, like,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't want to speculate too much, but you're not going (laughs) to outright talk a bunch of crap about Lucasfilm, especially right now when there's a chance he probably still gets a writer credit on that thing. And, you know, that that means a paycheck, even if he's not there anymore. Like, you know, so I'm sure you don't want to go talking smack.
1: Yeah. How many times in history have you ever seen a screenwriter or director be like, I'll never work with them again?
2: It has Screen happened. Writers, but... Screenwriters really can't. They don't have that luxury. And very few, very few directors have the luxury of being like, I'll never work with Lucasfilm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's just not realistic.
1: Yeah. To to me, the thing that, like, really, it, the, the thing I think worth focusing on is I joined the Star Wars universe and was asked to leave. <laughs>
2: yeah i, I mean know, that, that's that, the that thing is like it's less of a sitting on the fence quote than you might expect like he's pretty direct about what happened like he was happy to do it and th- i mean that asked who asked him that's what i want to know
1: uh i yeah i don't know we, we don't know for sure we don't, we, well, we don't I know i mean there's
2: only a few people that <laughs> would have the ability to do that right but like it's it's an interesting thing and like they're they this just continues that pattern that there just seems to be a gigantic disconnect between the head the the heads of Lucasfilm and these creatives they bring on board. It is remarkable how many A-list creatives ha- have went through that door and come out the other side and just didn't it, do what they were didn't didn't end up doing what they signed on to do.
1: It's weird though because Damon Lindelof I feel like is a known quantity.
2: You know, you oh, yeah.
1: you, you hire you hire um What's his name? That did uh, uh chronicle. Uh, the director, Josh of chronicle. Trank. Josh Trank. You you, you hire Josh Trank at that point in time in his career. You're like, you really don't know what that guy is gonna do. You know what I mean, like, he, it was very early in his career. I feel like Damon Lindelof is a very known quantity. Like when you hire him, you kind of know the level of work. You know the depth of work. You know the kind of uh, how smart something's gonna be. I don't know. When I hear Damon Lindelof's Star Wars film, I can picture. You know, I don't know what it is, but I can kind of picture what uh, what it's going to be. Do you know what I mean? So it's weird to, like, hire someone like that to write a screenplay and then ask them to leave. I don't know. I, I don't know. Again, we don't know anything. And I'm sure we, we never will because... We,
2: <laughs> we might never- not. I don't know. I, I think it's also interesting, too, that, like, you, you talk about you can picture Lindelof and what he might do. And it's so interesting to me that, it, it feels it's weird because it feels to me like Lindelof would be more into doing something like what James Mangold is doing, like the Dawn of the Jedi movie. And it's interesting to me that he was sort of like doing this Ray movie, you know, like yeah. the one that's seemingly most connected to what came before. I don't know that it's that fascinated me when I figured out which movie he was attached to. And it's equally fascinating that, you know, he is now not doing that movie. I don't know. I, I'll be interested to see if we ever hear any more about this.
1: I've said this a billion times, but I, I hope that one day there's a a book or documentary, probably a book, written about the you know the Disney era of Star Wars because I'm sure there's so many fascinating behind the scenes stories of what was actually going on uh, in reality. Yeah, there Just-
2: there are two books I want. I want that. Well, three. I want that one. I want the story of Quibby, and then I want, and then I want, and then I want one about. Uh, DC Studios from 2012 to about 2022. It's kind of like I want. I want. Yeah. I, those are the three books that I want.
1: I feel like Quibby could be like a Netflix movie or something. Oh, it, could be like it's not, it's like Adam going, McKay or something.
2: <laughs> it's gonna happen at some point because like we already have that dumb money movie coming out about the GameStop thing. Like, there's no way someone's not gonna do that at some point.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's move on, because we really don't know much about this, but uh, that first quote from Damon Lindelof is, uh, it hurts. It hurts. Uh, Okay, uh, last night I got to see a screening, a press screening of Guardians Galaxy Volume 3. This comes out next week, so uh, obviously, no spoilers. I'm not going to give any spoilers, but I'll give you my spoiler-free reaction. Uh, I loved it. It was great. It's uh, definitely the best Marvel movie since No Way Home, which I guess isn't probably like the the biggest ringing endorsement because the, the Marvel movies since no way home have not been like spectacular, but um, you know what? Guardians of the Galaxy volume one is my favorite Marvel movie. It's and so
0: good.
1: Yeah. It, it's amazing. And volume two is not a bad movie. It's a good movie, but like it just wasn't on the level of guardians of the galaxy volume one. Uh, and I'm not going to say that this is on the level of Guardians guardians of galaxy volume one, but it's much closer to that than volume two, I would say. Um, uh, it, it, it's full of funny, fun, uh, the, the, the creatures and production design are like better than we've seen in like star Wars. Like, I don't know, there's so much good. It's so emotional. Um, you know, bring your tissues. I, I cried probably three or four times, uh, but I'll say this, um, like most James gun things, it's not exactly what you expect it to be if that means if that makes any sense like i feel like you go into every james gunn movie and he like always it's always like different than what you expect and i i think i uh i guess slight spoiler for garden ghost 23 but i expected like i don't like,
2: even want a slight spoiler don't tell me a damn thing
1: oh nothing, but like i don't know i i i just like i mean, I, I think going into this movie you're expecting like all the guardians to be killed at the end, or you know, something like insane. And I, I feel like this is uh more of a send off for this franchise. Uh, it's a perfect send off for this franchise that gives all the characters uh completed arcs. And it's um, I don't know, people are gonna love it. I, I know, well, some people are gonna love it say, <laughs> because our own Chris Evangelista uh wrote his review today, it just got published. It says, uh, a rushed, uneven, sporadically emotional end to the trilogy. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and he gave it a 5 uh, out of 10.
1: Oh, uh, that's harsh. And, that's harsh. And
2: Chris Chris really likes the first couple of Guardians movies, too. So, I, I, yeah, I don't know. But, you know, that's – I mean, but, yeah, it does appear I, – I will say some of those reactions coming out of the screening, there were a lot of positive ones, but there were definitely some – it's not like Chris is alone here. Um, I definitely yeah. saw some mixed reactions for sure. So, like, let's not, you know, let's not, let's not pick on Chris. Like he, he, no, 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 no. He seems no, to have a very all. valid – you know, take here. And, and, you know, it's not like, it's not like he's a dissenter. It seems like th- this, this, that, you know, uh, it se- seems to be, seems to be a, a take some people have for sure.
1: Yeah. So the embargo just broke in the last hour. And so Rotten Tomatoes is still compiling their reviews. They only have like 60 reviews in their database right now. Right now it's at 80%, Uh, uh you know, which would be fresh. Um, uh, But again, only 60 reviews. It's probably you know by uh, next weekend, we'll probably have like four hundred reviews, so yeah,
2: it's a lot. let's you know, just out of sheer curiosity, um the other two movies have let's take a look here. The original Guardians of the Galaxy has a ninety two percent across the board, both audience and uh, critic score, and volume two has eighty five percent critic and eighty seven percent audience. so. Volume three hmm. at this current level would still be a little lower than both of those, which is kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm will I'll, uh, you know, i gonna click on, just so you, there's some more voices here. I'll click on the top critics here. Uh, we got David Sims from the Atlantic. Guardians 3 is a cheerful goodbye to many of the studio's best heroes who somehow managed to get through the entire series without being ruined by the larger superhero universe they inhabit. For Marvel, that's both a win and a problem. <laughs> what the, uh, William, uh how do you pronounce his last name? Bibani? Bibani?
2: I'm actually not sure.
1: I always see him online. Have, I've never actually pronounced his last name so I I apologize William and I you know I saw him at my screening last night. He's from the rap. Uh, he said the success of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 proves that it's still possible for Marvel movies to hit and hit hard after more than 30 films, but also it's getting harder to pull off that that trick. It's getting harder to pull that trick off. And uh you know I should read like uh, an, another negative review. Let me just make sure that no, there's no uh you know, no spoilers here. Okay, uh, Richard Lawson from Vanity Fair says, Half of Volume 3 is outright drama, heavy with themes of loss and terror. It's odd, lumbering patchwork of a film, occasionally fascinating but otherwise bloated and aimless. Ouch. Okay. Uh, so anyways, I don't know. I, 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 think, I don't think reading any of these reviews or telling you what I thought is going to change anybody's uh, decision to go see this movie next week. Either you're you're hyped or you're not hyped, um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. I, I guess now that the reviews are coming in, uh, to I will say this: I I thought it was going to be more of a home run than I'm seeing from the the critic reviews.
2: Yeah, I kind of thought so too, and I think Marvel was really hoping that would be the case. And I think because I think the thing is this: this seemed like the safest movie they have coming here shortly and and it's but the on the flip side of that it's also like ending a thing. It's kind yeah. of ending their last legacy franchise like unless we get a Doctor Strange 3 at some point which is not on the calendar. So, um yeah, I mean yeah, I I think they really need this to perform like not just well but like really well to, you know, to to sort of shut some people up for a minute, but I don't know. This, um
1: this could be me projecting, but I think audiences are going to uh, love this more than critics
2: <laughs> yeah but that's been the case with pretty much every yeah uh, almost every marvel movie ever at this point like even if you look at something like venom you know like it, it it's it that's kind of always the case
1: yeah yeah okay let's uh, let's move on let's talk about twisted metal the trailer was re uh released today and this is uh peacock's video game adaptation uh it's a TV show anthony mackie stars and you wanted to talk about this because you know honestly i wasn't even excited to to see this trailer because whenever there's a video game adaptation i'm like i'm very cynical i'm not a video gamer i you know i was like back in the day of nes, and super NES. Well, and but
2: also it's only recently that video game movies even started you know like for i mean for most of our existence video game movies have been like inherently trash. bad yeah. yeah so like So we're only just now starting to get to a place where that's not the case.
1: Yeah, so you want to talk about this. I'm going to let you speak before I give you my opinion, but what what did you think of the Twisted Metal trailer?
2: Well, I think it's a bit, because I mean, for one, it's a series and not a movie, although I do really feel like this would have benefited from like a movie budget for sure. For those who may not know, Twisted Metal was a series of games where you, in like this kind of post-apocalyptic death race type thing, you have these souped up, weaponized cars and you drive around these arenas and blow each other up it was so fun i loved twisted metal uh back in the day and uh anthony mackie stars here and the trailer is very much a teaser it doesn't get in any of the story or anything we just see it's very much leaning into like 90s nostalgia there's like a cd player in the car 90s music blaring you know like and uh we see like sweet tooth at the and end And it's let- like when
1: on- steal my sunshine uh which is the song right. i love yeah yeah
2: so it's like a little like silly and like a little irreverent, which is right. Like you don't want to take this deadly seriously. Like it's a ridiculous game. Um. So I think that's right. I just worry like, is Peacock really going to spend the money to make this right? Because like, even if you see Anthony Mackey's car, it's just got two small guns on the front, which like, you know, it's like, okay, that's fine. But like the, you know, the games are very like over the top and, and, so I don't know. We'll see. I'm hopeful about this, but I also don't subscribe to Peacock and I'm not sure that I will for this. So I'm not sure when, I, when, <laughs> if I'm ever going to watch this, but um, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, it's interesting for sure. And, and I, I would like this to be good, but, but I also, again, I think it's weird that it's a show specifically a show for Peacock.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with most of what you said. I will say, though, that his car, I, f- I feel like they're setting it up for his car to be upgraded throughout the season or something like that.
2: Yeah, it would seem like that would be the case, right? Do it a little video gamey where, like, you know, these things do get upgraded.
1: Yeah. You, you know what? I think the problem with a lot of video game adaptations is uh, the, the story is either not able to adapt a, you know, 12 hour or 20 hour story into a two hour movie it, it, and it becomes the, that problem of like, uh, you know, how do we make the best version of a worst, pro, you know, version of the story? <laughs> um, yeah,
2: I think the, I think the fortunate thing here, though, is that there's not yeah. like, I mean, yes, there's a story, but it's not, <laughs> you know, there's not like a bunch of lore like Halo or something else where you have a lot to sort of sift through. Like, there's a pretty simple premise, and you can you can maximize on that.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, I, I think you're going to see in, in the future of video game adaptations, the more simpler premise adaptations being the ones that, like, succeed. Because there's there's more, like, uh, there's more creative freedom
2: for the that's filmmakers. Largely, that's largely been true up to this point, particularly with movies like Rampage, Sonic, Detective Pikachu. but But I think... If you look at something like The Last of Us, which I haven't watched yet, but you know that's one of HBO's biggest hits in a long time, and that's going to be like an Emmy-winning show, and you know that's a pretty complex story. But yeah. I think the well, thing—well, they, they also right, had a
1: season to do a game, so it's not right. Like two, and they were know, very sh-
2: faithful to that story, though. So, but I think that's what's interesting about Twisted Metal, right? Is like that they are doing a season of television and not like a Mad Max-style movie, which is so interesting to me
1: yeah but i do agree with you i think i would rather see the movie version of this than the tv version because i at the end when they're kind of like showing some of the city and stuff like that, i'm like this looks cool but like i can tell that this is going to be like the walking dead or something like that where like you know you'll have these like big expansive shots and then it's going to cut to like a shot that um you can yeah tell it's a tv budget filmed. there's
2: no getting yeah. around that and and i but i also think that like as a movie this is exceptionally risky you know, because like if it doesn't work, you know, there's no way to make this as a movie for less than like one hundred and twenty million dollars or something. So, you know, yeah. it, and I'm not sure. That, so I don't know. It, it's it, it's very interesting. And I think if I'm not mistaken, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, the guys that wrote Deadpool are behind this. So that, again, gives you a sense of the tone. And, yeah. You know, and also I'm Zombie Wind. Cur- land. N- yeah. Nothing if not curious.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I'm curious as well. Uh, OK, we have a couple more stories to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay. Let's talk about it. Uh, So yesterday, a story broke that they are making a sequel to one of uh, the most acclaimed comedies of the last uh, 20 years. And that is Dodgeball. You wrote this up for the site. Tell us about it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, this happened sort of in the midst of the CinemaCon stuff yesterday. So I I think maybe on any other day it might have been an even bigger story. But yeah, after a long, almost 20 years, Dodgeball, a true underdog story, is getting a sequel. Uh, Vince Vaughn is returning as Peter LaFleur. He is also expected to be a producer on the film. What's more, uh, the script that's being written by uh, Jordan uh, Vandina uh, is is coming from an idea that Vaughn had. So, like he's very. It seems to be that that um, Vince Vaughn is the one sort of pushing this forward. Uh, no word on a director yet, and particularly uh, no word yet on if anyone else is going to from the cast uh, rejoin. But I would. It seems hard to imagine that Ben Stiller would not reappear as White Goodman. Uh, you have some guys <laughs> like Justin Long, Christine Taylor, Stephen Root uh, Alan Tudyk, Missy Pyle, Gary Cole, Jason Bateman, like it was a big cast. The other problem is that if you're trying to make this movie relatively cheap, all these people are much more famous now and, uh, they're going to be more expensive. So I'm not sure how that works, but you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's in development at, uh, 20th century studios, uh, you know, which is uh, owned by Disney. Uh, this was originally done by Fox. So I don't know if it's going to be a Hulu play or if this is going to go theatrical, but, you know, the original was incredibly successful, made $168 million worldwide against a $20 million budget. Uh, It has pretty much been on cable ever since. And, uh, you know, Blu-ray DVD was a much bigger thing back then. So this movie made a lot of money. And that 20-year mark is kind of peak for nostalgia. So, you know, uh, <laughs> but they've been trying to make this thing for a long time. I mean, there was... Uh, clay tarver was hired to write a sequel in 2013 i mean so that they but this seems like it's actually sort of now it's like okay like it's people are committed and like it it really seems like it's actually happening now
1: i don't know i just feel like aren't these actors getting a little bit too old to be running around throwing dodgeballs
2: might that be the but they could lean into that right (laughs) like because again like if, if if you play into like the 20 year angle, you could almost have the movie be like, Oh, 20 years since the, like if some 20 year reunion of that famous dodgeball tournament or something. And like, you know, they get back together for like another, I mean, who knows, you know, whatever. And like, you could lean into that, like old guys, and then you maybe get some younger people for the team, whatever, who knows, but, but it, uh, It could be yeah, a new I
1: generation. Mean, it, yeah. Um, yeah,
2: they're, they're by the way, I'm, I'm watching it.
1: the, tr- I'm watching the trailer for this while we speak on the, the Rotten Tomatoes YouTube channel. Uh and you know a movie is old in our current um in our lifetimes. When you when you look up the trailer for the movie and the highest resolution you could find is seven twenty P.
2: Yeah, that's not even bad. sometimes you look at movies around then you gotta do like four eighty and you're just yeah. like, oh man, this is brutal. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. The other thing to take into consideration is that comedy sequels are exceptionally difficult to pull off. Um, Very rarely do you have a comedy sequel go on to be a hit like Neighbors 2, 22 Jump Street. Those are, those are exceptions, not the rule. Uh, You know, a lot of times your, your comedy sequels tend to go more the way of Zoolander 2. So, you know, this is certainly going to be a risky prospect, especially if, you know, that's why like Wedding Crashers 2 sort of fell apart. Like that was about to happen. Uh Wedding Crashers 2 was like inches away from actually getting filmed. And then like Owen Wilson had to go film Loki season two and like everything sort of fell apart. So, you know, it's but yeah, there's a reason these things are hard to do.
1: Yeah. Um okay. Well we'll we'll keep you updated on that and uh if and when it actually happens. Uh let's talk about a, a Mandalorian season well actually i guess this happened in season two but i guess spoiler alert for the mandalorian season two and season three if you have not watched both of those seasons if you have not not watched all of the mandalorian thus far then you might want to tune out right now uh for the story because it does include um i guess by telling you what didn't happen it tells you what did happen yeah <laughs> um yeah. yeah in that case okay so uh th- so Katie Sackoff was appearing on a YouTube, uh, Kristen Harloff's uh, YouTube channel uh, for an interview. It's actually a great interview. I actually listened to it, um, and uh, during the interview, she, re- you usually don't with Mandalorian. You don't usually hear uh, stories of the creative process. Like Filoni and Favreau are very tight-lipped on telling you, you know anything about the creative process of that show and you definitely don't hear about things that like were changed during the production so I was I was shocked to hear this uh, I sent it over to uh, Ryan right up for the site and um, so sh- she explained that some some big things happened in the season two finale that uh, no
2: she actually was interesting she didn't say which episode it was she oh, so okay if you really listen she she's not now it's probably. It seems like it was probably the season two finale, but again, she's not clear.
1: Okay, so why don't you tell us what she said?
2: Yeah, so uh, she was uh, d- talking about a character named Axe Woves, uh, who is played by Simon uh, Cassian. Cassien, Cassian is, I'm not sure how to say his name. I feel terrible for butchering that, but but uh, he's one of uh, uh, the members of Clan Crees uh, who you've seen before. And uh, Sackoff said this. Axe, you know, we knew he was supposed to die last year. That was the thing that no one could talk about. There was a moment where he sacrifices himself in that episode. She didn't say which episode. We shot it in season two. And they were like, it needs to be Din, not him. So then you shoot a person's death and then they take it out. And then there's still a scene left out and everyone's like, where'd they go? Yeah, so she just kind of dropped the bomb that that they they, not only was this supposed to happen, they filmed the scene where Axe died. And then now he went on to become a pretty big part in season three.
1: I can't even imagine season three without him because who would you have leading up, I guess, um, what's her name? The, the former wrestler, yeah, I guess, like, current it wrestler.
2: It could have been her character. It could have been someone else. But, you know, good for, good for his, I mean, God, I mean, imagine being that actor and you don't get killed off. And then now not only are you in season three, you got a really good chance at being in like Filoni's movie probably.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Well, there's a couple things to unpack here. Number one, if they, if they were originally going to kill him off, uh, what does that mean for – like does that mean that his character is unimportant, that he's probably going to get killed off in season four? Not necessarily because you have shows like Breaking Bad – it wasn't it no- notoriously in Breaking Bad season one, Jesse Pinkman was gonna be was gonna be killed off in season one? Yeah, like, Jesse that was, was not-
2: supposed to die in like he like two episodes, not even in season one. He was supposed to be there for a very short period of time.
1: So doesn't necessarily things uh, TV is an interesting game because things change all the time. By the way, uh the other night owl that I was forgetting the name of was Cosca Reeves, is the uh the character name of <laughs> What is the actress's name? I'm pulling it up right now as we speak. Oh no, Wikipedia entries are way too long to find out this information.
2: Oh, IMDb is the way to go, man. Wikipedia gets uh, gets uh, caught in the weeds.
1: Uh, Costco Reeves, I'm looking this up. This is compelling content for uh, the, uh is a uh, Oh my god. This is also not coming coming up with anything.
0: <laughs> Sasha I'm sure people Banks. Eat- yeah, Sasha Banks.
1: I'm sure people are yelling at their their podcasts. Um, wait, where was I going? To? Oh, so uh, number one uh, doesn't mean anything about the future of the Mandalorian, but uh, number two, actually, I forget what what I was going to de- unpack. What number two? Well, we were like, just uh, talking about how
2: TV is changing, sort of. Constantly oh, yeah. And-
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting that. That, it, I mean, this isn't, like I said, this isn't uh, unusual for TV, but it's interesting that they would go from, you know, killing this guy off in this, uh, it seems like a sacrificial death to in the next season. Like he's such a big part of the season and you can't imagine what, how you would do that season, especially with like, you know, trying to convince the night owls to come on board with, uh, uh, the watch and all that stuff with without them so it makes me wonder you know i hate i hate bringing up this i know this drives star wars fans insane but it makes me wonder how much of this this whole mandalorian versus planned out
2: <laughs> um i still imagine that that felonnie and favreau have like the really broad strokes of the story planned out but i think the particulars of how they're getting there are shifting around quite a bit
1: yeah I mean, especially with um, Rangers of the New Republic getting canceled, them having to integrate that into the the previous season, probably next season as well. Um, well, and let's
2: not forget that, like, when something works and when something doesn't, they still be holding the Lucasfilm. And as a show unfolds, you can't know what is or is not going to work. And like, they couldn't have known the level at which Baby Yoda was going to take off. So, like, you know, things like that, where you know they they definitely are beholden to that on some level. It
1: actually makes me wonder. Do you think? do you think that Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni knew what kind of huge pop culture thing baby Yoda was going to be And And by that, I mean like, do you think that that was going to be that the, <laughs> that they didn't know that the, the, the show was going to be Grogu and Mando? For the, I think like they that knew
2: was... that was, I think they knew that was going to be at least the first season of the show. And I yeah. think that like, I think that, they probably suspected that reveal would get talked about a lot. I think it's impossible to know. It would be arrogant for them to believe like it would have taken off in the way that it took off. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't think either of them is that, but I think that they, you know, they probably had a suspicion that, that that they might've had something interesting,
1: but it it does go to your point that I I know I've had the conversations with you in the past that, you know, season two was probably written before season one ended and, them leaving Grogu with Luke Skywalker almost seems like the the like you know okay let's leave him there so we can get onto the more of the Mandalorian stuff and by that time it's like uh, the, the people want Grogu people it, it, you know like so m- maybe that maybe that was their original plan and then they got uh, they had to bring Grogu back
2: again that's past- my, I still feel like that makes the most sense to me I know people have went back and forth but I just. I don't know it it, it to me it, it really smells like someone at Lucasfilm was like you know John and Dave we don't want to tell you what to do but boy howdy are reselling a lot of baby Yoda toys right now so you know like we'd really like to see him back and, yeah. and I and I just it that's what it feels like to me to what degree that's true I don't know that's just what it feels like to me I don't know anything that's just what I think
1: oh I mean going to the Disney parks and seeing how much uh, Grogu merchandise there is i, I can I, I can only imagine he must be their bi- one of their biggest sellers out of all the characters including
0: gotta be you know gotta be
1: including elsa and stuff like that so yeah okay anyways we've reached the end of today's slash Film daily you can find more of all of our work at slash you can find this podcast on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter slash com. and please write and read this podcast on apple podcast tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you on monday